Hi everybody, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to RegWatch special coverage of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, Good Cop, Bad Cop, the counter-conference to COP10, the World Health Organization's conference to the parties to the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control happening this week in Panama City, Panama. Gentlemen, how's it going? How are you, Brent? It's uh, day four. It's been a long week, but I still feel a lot of energy in the room, in the conference room, for sure. Uh, yeah, excellent. Great. Martin? Yeah, great to see you. Good, good to be here. Um, we're, we're having fun. <laughs> so my question to both of you now, you, David, you're not a vapor, are you? I am not. Um, this is an issue that you know came up to me and the Taxpayers Protection Alliance a number of years ago and just really became passionate about it, mainly because I have a connection to vaping and really to smoking. And this is my father. My father smoked three and a half packs of cigarettes a day for 20 years. And obviously cigarettes killed him. He died at age 63. And, you know, growing up with a smoker is awful. We lived in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. And I remember going to school that we would get in the car, roll up the windows, put on the air conditioning and just one cigarette after another. And it was, it was disgusting. He would wake up with a cigarette in his mouth. He would go to bed with the same thing. And my mom would literally have to take the cigarette out of his mouth when he fell asleep so the house wouldn't burn down. And I look at the products that are available today, and I've seen even more products from the people that have been here at the conference. The vaping, the heat not burn, the snooze, the pouches, everything that's available. Man, I wish I could go back in time and take some of these products to him in the uh, in the 60s and 70s because he would have lived a longer life. I really believe that he would have lived a longer life if he would have had these products and, you know, flavors. We talk about flavors and how controversial they are. My dad had a sweet tooth. You know, he loved the sweet. So I could see him with a, a vape that was watermelon, cotton candy, uh, you name it. And, and listen, maybe he would do heat and not burn because it had more of a feel of a cigarette uh, to him. But again, he didn't have access to these products. So as a consumer organization, that's what I'm trying to accomplish here is I want to give the parents that are smoking today, uh, the kids that are smoking today, give them an off ramp, give them products, give them these uh, these alternatives so they can stop smoking and they can live longer lives and have healthier lives. So it's a very personal thing to me. And obviously, when the World Health Organization spends $400 million of taxpayer money from the United States, it's a professional issue also, but mostly it's personal. And Martin, what got you into uh, being an advocate for vaping? Well, as I say to everyone, I, I used to be a smoker. Um, I had never made a single quit attempt. I absolutely love smoking. Uh, you know, I, I, I literally had never tried to quit smoking ever. Um, but I was just interested in, in these products because, you know, I've, I've always sort of not been too happy with a nanny state. And I heard in the UK that the government was thinking about banning them. So I, I went on forums and asked people what they were all about. Um, and there's a woman up in Leeds who sent me a whole load of kit and just with little sticky notes on it saying this goes here, this goes there. And so I got a feel of what they were. But because of that, I, I used to write articles on my blog about them. Um, and over time, I just started using the products more and more. And it came to a point where I just said to my wife, I said, you know, 
when was the last time I had a cigarette? And she said, probably about four or five weeks ago. So I kind of almost forgot to smoke. So, you know, I'd never, ever actually tried to quit smoking, but it just happened accidentally, really. And, and that's a, a, a concept that we hear quite a lot. There's a lot of people like me who, who just tried it on a whim and accidentally quit smoking. And there's been studies about it and, and everything. And it's, it's a very powerful tool to help people quit. Yeah, and is it even fair to say it's accident? It's almost, uh, it's almost uh, fortuitous. It's a, there's actually something about it. If you actually pick up a vaping device, the chances that you're going to end up quitting, if it's an effective device with good flavor and strong nicotine, it's almost guaranteed. There, there is actually scientific research, quite a few um, uh, articles of uh, items of research where they've taken people who had no intention of quitting and they just tried them with some with vaping products others with other, other products and they came they found that you know a lot a lot of people were using vaping actually carried on being quit after 12 weeks or, or three months or whatever and and what was significant was they were more powerful than nrt and and it was the very fact that the subjects themselves none of them uh, wanted to quit. They just wanted to test out the, you know, how they use them. Uh, and they've found a byproduct of research was lots of them actually quit smoking. So, yeah, it's something that you don't need to... Before, it was always, I used to say to people who would say to me, quit, well, if, if you want to quit, you'll quit. You know, I don't want to quit. So there's no point in me trying anything because I don't want to quit. And if you, you know, back then, before lowest safer nicotine products came around it was simply that you know if, if you wanted to quit you had to initially had that initial desire to quit first because otherwise you're probably not going to be successful well what's happened now with me especially is that i didn't want to quit i just did so accidentally and there's a lot there's a lot of people do that that never happened before with patches or gum you'd go to a clinic and you'd actually want to quit but this is this is what's the power of these things because people are just going to vape shops paying for a starter kit and quitting all on their own. It's not costing the taxpayer a penny. This is, this, you know, governments all over the world should be crying out for this sort of product. And yet this is the real strange thing that they're fighting it. Why are they fighting something that can help their exchequer as, as about as much as it helps their, their health department? Now, think about this, Brent. You know, I want people not to find these products accidentally, right? I want them to find them on purpose. As they walk into a convenience store and they see them front and center, uh, that's what we're trying to accomplish here. The World Health Organization, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, imagine, you know, they have the power. Imagine what they could do if they promoted these products, the good that they could do across the world in promoting these products. And that's what blows my mind is that they're missing this huge opportunity. And that I get very frustrated when I talk about it because I want folks and, you know, Martin, this happened to him accidentally. Well, Guess what? We have an opportunity. We have a, an industry that is building, that is more mature now, and we have products that are a lot better than five years ago or 10 years ago. And I want people to have that option. And I don't want it to happen by accident. I want it to happen on purpose. I, I just want to echo that about Japan, for example, with heated heat tobacco. Um, their sales of cigarettes in Japan has, has gone from 2017 when they were first marketed down to I think I think it was 20, 20, 20, early 2023. Uh, the sales of cigarettes have declined by 50 percent. I mean that's half of the sales of cigarettes just gone in a few short years. And 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 like David said, this is this is not um, this is not because the government was was uh, endorsing these products. The government was fighting against them. And it still had the power to reduce cigarette sales by 50%. That's an immense power. And, and, this, and again, I'll say, why are governments fighting this? I just don't understand it. 
It's interesting. I mean, I was a 25-year smoker. I quit using Champex, but it made me go out of my mind. And if it wasn't for the fact that vaping was around, I would have still been smoking. And in fact, I did go back to being a dual user for some time, uh, partly because I was so pissed off at tobacco control and how dare you uh, tell me I can't vape and it's just a bunch of psychological head games. But it's got me to thinking is that is that a smoker knows, anybody who's picked up smoking in the last 40 years knows that it's going to kill you, and yet you still smoke. And in fact, not just smoke, but love smoking. I loved smoking. I still love smoking. And it's not just the nicotine, it's the actual smoking part of it. The whole thing, I love it. If it, if it wasn't gonna kill me, I would still be smoking. And then knowing that it was gonna kill me, I still smoked and then they dumped on taxes that made it it was nine thousand dollars a year in after-tax money is what my smoking habit cost me because I was two packs a day this is just up to 2015 and finally that you know broke my back and got me moving to be in a, a quit mode so I, I think that tobacco control seems to not understand the smoker the smoker's not a victim of big tobacco. They're not even really that hooked on the nicotine. It's the pleasure, it's the independence, it's, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's wrapped up around in it that a consumer has chosen to buy a consumer product. A cigarette is a consumer product. So we're just asking for the right to be able to buy a safer consumer product. Yeah, that's right. And you know, going back to my father's story is that I, I spoke to him many times about his smoking and how much I hated it. And he said, listen, I know what I'm doing to my body. I know every time I pick up a cigarette, I know what's happening inside my body. And yet I smoke because I like to smoke. So he was not under any disillusion about what a cigarette was and you know, no Surgeon General warning. And he said, listen, I don't need a Surgeon General warning to tell me that cigarettes are bad for me. I know this. And, and again, it goes back to you know, the choice, freedom of choice, and he didn't have a choice. And a lot of people don't because of what the World Health Organization is doing and what the FDA is doing. And that's all we're asking for is freedom of choice. Yeah, we were talking about this on panels earlier today um, and saying how um, you know, the WHO and tobacco control tend to uh, see smokers and vapors as some sort of subclass, uh, subhuman sub being kind of thing. Uh, and they they long since dehumanized smokers by saying they're not making a freedom of choice. They're addicted. They, they, when they're addicted, they're not making a choice. They're, they're, they're sort of like the product has overtaken their, their free choice. They obviously think anyone who smokes or vapes is an idiot. Um, and they, that's kind of the attitude they got. So they never see the freedom of choice aspect. They, you, they, in, as far as tobacco control is concerned, no one actually enjoys smoking tobacco. Uh, they just do it because they're addicted. And I think that's a rather offensive way of thinking of it. You know, no, and, and Brent, we treat uh, drug addiction completely different, right? If someone stops, you know, drug use, heroin, you name it, they are celebrated, which they should be, absolutely should be celebrated when you quit drugs and they get a, a token, a 30-day token, a 60-day token. Why not do that for smokers? People that quit smoking and they take up vaping, why not do that for them? Celebrate these people, celebrate the ones that are stopping uh, combustible cigarettes. And I think that would really change the dynamic in this country because you have people going through addiction with drugs that are celebrated when they give it up. And again, do the same for former smokers.
Let me say on the hard drug side, it seems that public health is more than happy to continue to provide the environment around which hard drug users can continue along with their habit. They, in fact, dehumanizing them is a total taboo. You can't even, so why is it that a human being who smokes is dehumanized and a victim of this addiction? But then those that you know are demonstrably a harm, harmful to themselves and to the society around them, they are almost valorized um, for being um, drug users. Well, Mark Oates made this point today on one of our panels, where he said um, during the HIV uh, AIDS crisis in, in the early 80s, they didn't stigmatize, because um, at the time they, they thought it was only gay people who would get this, they didn't put big adverts up in, in sort of gay nightclubs of people dying of HIV and AIDS and stigmatize them like that. They, they said that would be offensive and it'd be rude, but they see no problem doing that with, with smokers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the stigma thing. And I don't know why they seem tobacco control have got stuck in this kind of rut about, um, about wanting to, to but this is gets back to what I was saying before about how they seem to consider smokers and vapors as somehow subhuman and they, they don't treat us with any respect they won't let us go to their conferences they won't they won't listen to our arguments it's, it's almost like we'll talk at you we'll talk about you but we don't want to hear anything from you yeah um you know part of it must be that you know there's millions of people who have quit smoking before vaping was around and they resent how hard it was to quit and the 20 extra pounds they put on and everything else. And they're just miserable people because they quit smoking and they don't get to enjoy nicotine anymore. I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. It could be. Uh, many, uh, there's not many tobacco controllers I know who, who weren't former smokers. So yeah, you, you might have something there. So let's, um, let's turn back to the conference now. Do we, is there any information that we can glean out of what's happened over the last day or two actually at COP10? Or is it like a total enigma wrapped up in a secret and covered in secret sauce? Well, it's kind of uh, stagnated a little bit from what, what we've heard from the, the bulletins uh, and the journal. Um, they, they've been debating Articles 9 and 10 uh, for, what? Uh, two days now, um, and they don't seem to be getting anywhere. Uh, and I pointed out in our introduction this morning that I wrote something for uh, for Filter in August 2000, uh, August 2023, where I spoke about Articles 9 and 10, where the WHO had surveyed parties and said, what, the whole whole point they're, they're talking about is whether to set up an expert group to talk about the discussion on, on contents and emissions of products. Um, an expert group is appointed by the WHO. They can appoint their own their own people. Uh, they can control what what science is looked at and what have, what have you. It, with a working group, uh, then that means all, any of the parties can volunteer to be on it. That they say, I would like to be on the working group. I want to get into this discussion. And then that's the parties are in, in charge. Um, there was a working group which had been a long-standing group. Um, it was suspended in 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 2018 at COP8. And the survey that went out in 2020 was, do you want this working group to be um, reactivated or should we just go for a, um, an expert group? And 60% of parties said that they wanted to reactivate the working group. They surveyed them again in 2021. And once again, it was a majority said, we would like the working group, please. And, <laughs> and what the WHO said after those two 
uh, surveys was they said, well, this suggests little support for reactivation of the mandate of the working group and went on to recommend an expert group. And that's what they're debating right now. So the fact there was a majority against an expert group in 2020 and 21, um, I don't know why they think they're not they're not going to have the same sort of expert uh, the same sort of uh, disagreement with the parties when it comes to debating at COP10, and so they've been debating this for at least two days, and it doesn't look like from what I've read that uh, they're any closer to coming to a consensus. And, and Martin, wasn't this the reason why St. Kitts and Nevis was shut down? Is because they were talking about the working group, and the WHO official um, wouldn't let them finish. I mean, is is that part of the tension? Well, they're not, the WHO isn't particularly keen on working groups because they're not strictly in control. They prefer expert groups. And St Kitts and Nevis were wanted to have a working group to discuss Article 1D and harm reduction and, and, redefi and define it in detail, what harm reduction is. And that would, would mean having to talk about harm reduction. And over the last few cups, the, the WHO hasn't wanted to talk about harm reduction at all. They've, they've withdrawn from talking about harm reduction. So they, they're, they're not too keen on that. They, they will get, St Kitts and Nevis will get a hearing on their proposal, but um, they're likely to be pushed around, I expect. But we'll see. It'd be nice if they got some success out of it. Well, isn't this an interesting microcosm of what's happened at the World Health Organization? Is that the working group, which is anyone can join, you can have these discussions, that's being shut down. But what they want to do is they want to promote the expert group, which is handpicked, cherry-picked, whatever term you want to use, because the WHO is about control. They don't want input. They don't want discussion. They want to control the discussion. So I think looking at the working versus expert group is a really great microcosm of who the WHO is and what's happening this week. And to be clear here, the working group, that would just be members, delegates from countries. We're not talking about consumers or other people were talking about they're trying to control even the countries that are inside the treaty. Yeah, the, the, the parties can apply to be on the working group. And as they're the bosses, it's not much the secretariat can do to say no, you know, because they're the, the admin, the convention secretariat is just the, the you know, the office people, uh, the bosses are the parties. So if, if a national government says, I'd like us to be on that working group, we want to discuss this, then, then they have to let them on. Whereas with an expert group, then it's chosen by the WHO and the FCTC Bureau and Secretariat. So was this the way all uh, operations of the WHO work to some extent with this layer of bureaucracy and control, even of the parties to particular treaties in the WHO? Well, they try. <laughs> they try as much as they can. But at the end of the day, um, the, it's a conference of the parties. The parties are the decision makers. So if the parties just disagree with what's put in front of them, the parties win. That's the, just the way it is. You know, the, the Secretariat and the Bureau can try and guide them in the direction they want. And this is why they produce reports which have got shonky science, um, is because they want to mislead them to make the decisions that, that they're happy with. But if the parties have looked up, you know, what the science is and, and made their investigations done their own research then they should come up and say actually we don't we don't accept that we're going to make a different decision and that's what we're all hoping they're going to do at this cop yeah and, and brent i think that every day that goes by every month every year that goes by 
we are going to have the science on our side. We are going to see more studies. We're going to hear from more consumers. This makes it so much more difficult for the World Health Organization to keep control of the delegates because we've seen you know, more discussion than I think we've ever seen about tobacco harm reduction. And it, there hasn't been a lot. So I'm not saying there's been a lot, but there has been some discussion about this. And quite frankly, our voices are getting louder. And the WHO can, you know, they can hear them. We had, you know, folks visit us yesterday from, was it a campaign for tobacco-free kids? Mm -hmm. So they know that we're here. They know that we're talking about this. I wouldn't be surprised if they jumped on our live stream to see what we're talking about. But, you know, this has never been done before. There hasn't been such a public forum to talk about this. And the WHO hates this. They hate us. You know, we talked yesterday, I think it was yesterday about the webinar where they mentioned TPA, that we're sinister. We're one of the sinister people. So you see that we're getting to them and we're starting to crawl inside their minds. Yeah, and they frame us, what is it, tobacco interference or something like that. And huh, let's jump uh, to uh, Vaping 360. This came out yesterday, which was Jim McDonald's uh, coverage. And of course, great people over at Vaping 360 and Jim does such a great job. I just wanted to throw this up, Martin, specifically, because he's got a great list. It's the list that you know well and that we've talked about endlessly, but I just want to make sure we hammer this home that what is being at, at COP10, the FCTC parties will make decisions about several major topics that could affect people who vape and use other non-combustible nicotine products. Some proposals which are supported by the FCTC secretariat include banning vaping flavors, banning open system refillable products, banning disposable vapes, banning nicotine salt e-liquid, redefining the term smoke to include smoke-free vapor, regulating and taxing all nicotine products as harshly as cigarettes. Does Jim have that about right there, big guy? Um, yeah, he's got it right. They, they were all mentioned in reports to uh, reports drawn up to give to the parties prior to COP10. There were suggestions on all of those as possible policies. Now that's being discussed in, um, in a discussion which is on the agenda to talk about novel and emerging products. And the, the discussion is around the science behind novel and emerging products. And so the science that, that was given to the parties is wrong. I mean, none of those should, should be done, especially redefining smoke. I mean, they, they say that you can call vapor smoke because it is, it is a visible vapor which comes from a thermally driven reaction. Um, well, as, as Roberto Sussman said earlier in the week here, he said, well, that means there's no smoke-free kitchens anywhere in the world because every time you cook, you're producing a visible vapor by using a thermally driven reaction. So you're smoking while you're cooking. I mean, it's absurd. It really is. But this is what they're, they're trying to put this in front of the parties, because at the end of the day, they want to equalize all the all the um, restrictions and and and, uh, uh, and treatment of, of vaping products and and safer nicotine products. They want to equalize it with combustible tobacco so they can apply smoking bans. They can apply tobacco display bans, plain packaging, high taxation, all of it on safer nicotine products. That's what they're aiming to do. And that's why they're, they're concocting the science to try and mislead parties at the convention. So do we know when, like, I mean, there's just today and tomorrow left, right? Or is there some operational stuff happening on Saturday? We're not broadcasting on Saturday, but do we know when they're actually going to be discussing these particular provisions? 
No, all we know is that they would they would discuss that the journal yesterday morning said that they would be discussing uh, that and uh, and today the journal said they're still discussing it. So they're still having those discussions with the parties. I don't know if there's a draft decision being put put to them or it's just a discussion, but that's on the agenda and what they're talking about yesterday and today. So, OK, so say they decided to do one of any of those or all of them. Right. Um, do all parties that are parties to this treaty, do they all have to agree and like, do they actually vote or is it majority vote? How does that work to get to the point where it's passed whatever body this is? Um, there is a there is a facility to vote, but it's never been used. Um, the idea, because it's an international treaty, they're meant to come to consensus, something that every country agrees with, because otherwise the treaty kind of falls flat. Because if, if you have it, if say you have a vote and it says 60% say yes, 40% say no, then those 40% are going to go back to their country and say, we, we voted no, we don't agree with this, we're, we're going to ignore it. The idea is they reach consensus. So then if you go back and, and uh, you don't implement the policy that they, they decide, then they can put pressure on you. Say, but you were at the meeting, you were there, you achieved consensus. You can't say you don't want it now. And that's where the political pressure would come in. So um, yeah, there's no voting, they have to achieve consensus, but that often means that they have to water things down because they can't get consensus. Um, and a lot of those those things are so absurd. How are they gonna get 100 and 190 countries to reach a consensus on something so radical. So, you know, I think they'll, they'll struggle to get those things through. But but, but we'll see. I mean, it, like I said, I don't even know if there's a draft decision being made because they can discuss it and then they can put together, someone might put together a draft decision that they can all agree on. But it's not good. I don't think it's going to be this quick at the moment, especially with a rescheduled COP, that it's going to happen, all of that in one go at this COP. So let me take us on to another topic. We're going to well, it's, it's the same topic. I'm going to dive into this. And then when we come out, we are going to start uh, diving into some of the clips that we've got prepared for tonight's show. Lots of stuff um, happening today. But Martin, this is going to be a surprise for you. I did brief um, David on this briefly. But on Monday in Canada, the NDP, which is the new Democratic Party, never trust a political party that uses Democrat in their name. That's just something everybody should know right off the bat. And um, so they put out a, and this is the party that signed the deal with the federal liberals that put Trudeau back in power in 2021. So, I mean, it's just all just a mess. So anyhow, here's what, what got uh, put out. The NDP is seeking to criminalize the, quote, promotion of fossil fuels and prescribe jail time even for Canadians who say scientifically true things, such as how burning natural gas is cleaner than burning coal. The person who uh, tabled this added that the oil and gas sector was trafficking in, quote, disinformation and, quote, killing people. He also twice framed his bill as the dawn of the industry's, quote, big tobacco moment. <laughs> an apparent reference to Canada's blanket federal tobacco ban on tobacco advertising. The act would technically apply to any Canadian who is found to be speaking well of the oil industry or of oil generally. It criminalizes a laundry list of common pro-oil and gas arguments, even ones that have a reliable basis in fact. Section 8 of the act makes it a crime for a person 
to argue that a fossil fuel is, quote, less harmful than other fossil fuels. And if you violate this act as a regular citizen, it could be up to a $500,000 fine. If you were an actual oil company, the punishment could be as strict as two years in jail and a million dollars. And keep in mind, in Canada, in the Tobacco Act, right, it is a crime to promote tobacco in certain manners, even as a citizen. So like, for instance, in Quebec, which is pretty strict, like you can't pass out uh, Royal College of Physicians reports or Public Health England reports. It's against the law. So, I mean, for anybody to say that what's happening inside the tobacco area of things doesn't bleed out into the regular world, well, they're wrong because they're now taking what's been going on in tobacco and applying it now to other industries. Yeah, Yeah, well, this just reminds me of what's happening in Panama City, what happened yesterday. The Ministry of Health went to four hotels where delegates were staying and they were looking for people that were handing out pamphlets talking about the benefits of tobacco harm reduction, of vaping. They are trying to control speech there's no other way to put this, is that they're trying to shut down speech, shut down discussion about this, and to have Ministry of Health thugs going from hotel to hotel, uh, potentially arresting people, handing out material, pieces of paper. And now we see with this with fossil fuels in Canada, this is a really a bad and chilling trend we're seeing that what governments are doing. And I mean, needless to say, this has to be stopped. There has to be freedom of expression. There's a freedom of speech in, in globally. And I'm just you know disgusted to hear that this is not only happening at the WHO, but now in individual countries because they don't like a company or they don't like a particular product. This is the weaponization of government. This is the weaponization of the bureaucracy and of governments uh, around the world. And it has to be stopped. I'd, I'd say that um, firstly, the penalties there are child's play compared with what we've seen in some some jurisdictions. Uh, at the moment, the tobacco bill is going through in South Africa. And if you're a, a vapor and you say to someone who's smoking, you should try this vape because it's less harmful than your, your cigarette, uh, you can be arrested for that for making a health claim. And the maximum uh, sentence is 10 years in jail. Uh, and in, in India, they've banned e-cigarettes. Uh, they banned research into e-cigarettes and last year a few few months ago in fact um th there was an organization that held and it was kind of a research um uh conference to talk about the benefit not the benefits even just to talk about vaping and the 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 entity of vaping you know the phenomenon of vaping and they were warned by the government that they were breaking the law just holding that conference i mean it's really it's really quite um draconian and and well, Orwellian, I suppose, is the word you use, isn't it? So and, we and have we have just, a voice from Africa here. Uh, go ahead, David. No, I, yeah, I just want to say uh, on the on the flip side, what we saw yesterday was someone in the Spanish government uh, posted a picture of of a mock-up of a disposable vape, and the, the the brand name was New Vapor or something like that, and it's it said cancer flavor. And there was a thing there saying 100% carcinogenic. Now, no one anywhere in the world has said 
that vaping causes cancer. Nicotine doesn't cause cancer. No one said it. But this guy is, is fully allowed to spread this. The WHO won't do anything about it. The FCTC won't do anything about it. So you're saying there, you, know, you can't even say things that are true without being criminalized. Well, these people are saying things that are 100% untrue and no one's going to put them up on it. And they're harming people's health by making those claims. It's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, it, I just I just say it staggers me. It really does. Well, those that uh, were watching Reg Watch in 2020 know that as soon as COVID hit, I'm like, you should not be surprised. Uh, public health are experts at disinformation and misinformation and propaganda. We've been seeing it for years on the vaping side. So, dear goodness. We're going to jump to a quick, quick, uh, quick clip. Now it is quick, everyone. So this is Emmanuel Mwapi, who's an award-winning filmmaker and THR activist in Zambia. So you mentioned the authorities that be. One of those authorities is the global authority, yes. the World Health Organization. Um, now, that coming up later this year is what's called COP, COP10. COP10, COP10 yeah. yeah. at a conference of the parties. And it doesn't look like it's going to go so well for safer nicotine products, potentially. If you had an opportunity to send a message to the delegates at COP10, what would that message be? My, my, my question would be, would, would, you, would, would, you, would you accept evil for something that less evil? Maybe that, that, would, that, would, that would be the last question for me. And are you able to eradicate this? Are you able to eradicate this evil completely? If you are unable to eradicate it, then it's high time for you to reflect on, on getting something that is, more, that is more safer for people to use than, than allowing something that is, that is not safe for people, to, for people to consume. I think that, that would be the best message. I think the best message is for people to critically look at these things and to to be more realistic about, to be more realistic with the approach for on tobacco. Because, for example, if we say ban tobacco, so for example, in Zambia, we have uh, a lot of people that are, that are farming tobacco. So one of the things that they can critically look into, not saying, okay, ban tobacco or stop tobacco farming. Of course, it would be hard for people to, to stop. One of the things that they can critically look into is one of the things that they are, a small free world is doing, where they are empowering farmers to to shift, from, uh, to shift from use of tobacco. For example, if I'm using 10 hectares of land to, to plant tobacco, they can slowly, slowly start shifting to alternative crops. Like for example, say, okay, instead of 10 hectares of land for, of tobacco, can we use 30% uh, to, uh, to plant maize for this year so that slowly we get to, to a world that will be, be smoke-free. Gentlemen, um, I didn't quite understand what he, what he was getting at, but I mean, it did come up in one of our panels to say that you know, if you if you want to if you want to move to a smoke-free world and not upset a load of farmers who who obviously that's their that's their not career, but it's their their their, their livelihood and, and they've got land invested and and money invested in these things. Well, you can't just tell them you've got to stop making tobacco. You've got give them something else and and mark Oates said well, why not in india just say um all these farmers sorry all these farmers well why don't you produce uh, tobacco for snus 
you know, and that way you'd be, you'd be, and then encourage people to use snus rather than smoking. That's one way you can do it. But you can't just say to people, look, you've got a farm, you've got to stop doing it and go and make saffron or something. And I'm not making that up. That was a real research conclusion that came about a few years ago. They said um, they should just stop making tobacco because uh, saffron's worth a lot more money and they'd earn more profits. I mean, complete misunderstanding of supply and demand. But, you know, uh, you can't just order them not to do that when when it's their livelihood um and and again we're talking about cop and 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 talking to people and having discussions we had farmers brazilian farmers turn up at the start of the week and the, and the fctc refused to let them in to have a discussion well you can't just talk about their livelihoods and their their farms and their property without allowing them to actually have a discussion with you and explain how it's going to affect them but the who seems to think it can do that now, Martin, I had a, a similar experience, and Brent, I think you'll appreciate this, is that um, I was at a meeting with the trade representative from the United States. This was uh, a luncheon that he was at, and tobacco was brought up, and they were trying to you know, limit tobacco, and someone said, well, what about the farmers? There's a, in, in the United States, there's a really big farming, uh, tobacco farming industry, and he said, they can grow something else. They don't have to grow tobacco. They can grow sweet potatoes. Really? I mean, this is the the cavalier attitude they have to these farmers that, I mean, these farms have probably been in their families for, for decades. And, you know, what I'm sort of seeing here at, um, at COP and with the WHO is, I think the different regions are gonna have different ideas about what to do with tobacco. Because you have the, the continent of Africa, you have a lot of tobacco farming. And for them to be told, and like Martin said, you know, taking away their livelihood, how do you tell a country to take away their livelihood to what is bringing them money? And listen, remember, we're not talking about illegal activity. We're talking about legal tobacco farming. So it's not as if they're, you know, selling blood diamonds on the market, right? I mean, this is tobacco. And they're, the WHO is telling them not to do this. And that's why they're getting pushback. That's why they're saying, no, you know, I don't care how much money you give our country. I don't care what you say, but this is this helps generations of families in our country. So, you know, I'm it, I'm curious to see what the uh, uh, the regional sort of infighting, what goes on with that in the in the coming years. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Let me bring on uh, Dr. Jazjeet Alawalia. He is a physician and public health scientist professor of behavioral and social sciences and internal medicine center for alcohol and addiction studies at brown university school of public health so straight from your home country there david coming up later this year the who's FCTC conference, COP10 is about to happen, uh, the Conference of the Parties. If you had an opportunity to get a message to the delegates, what would that message be? So I don't follow the WHO and the COP and the acronyms. Uh, you know, there's only so much I can do. So I plead a little bit of ignorance. I would just say what I've seen of the WHO and some of the pronouncements and things, um, they're not using science to inform policy, so I'll just leave it at that. I say with the message is focus on the smoker, focus on the human being, have empathy, don't judge. If someone's going to make money in getting someone less unhealthy, double negative, 
you know, cigarettes, less unhealthy, then support that. We don't want people using cigarettes. I prefer and I support people not starting to use nicotine. I don't want my kids or kids vaping or using pouches or anything. But if they do, they do. I mean, I don't want kids smoking pot, using opioids, fentanyl. There are a lot of things I don't want, um, but they happen. Um, so I think is that, you know, be balanced. The world is gray. Let's stop the black and white stuff. And lastly, here at GFN, why is an event like this important? Well, this is my first time at GFN. Um, so it's a little bit of an eye opener for me. It's very different. There are very few academics there. And obviously this is not a scientific conference per se, like Society of Research on Nicotine with sort of clinical trials and abstracts and poster sessions. So it was important for me because I get, to, I, I like get to see different stakeholders. There are a lot of stakeholders in this game, so to speak. It's not just sort of scientists or policymakers. They're consumers, they're advocates, they're manufacturers, they're suppliers. There's a lot of things. You can't just sort of shut down anything just because you want to. There are economic and other ramifications. Um, so I think, you know, like the whole COVID thing, when we shut down schools and shut down businesses, it was a disaster for low-income people. There you go. And also, we got a little bit of a plug-in for Global Forum on Nicotine. So. <laughs> Well, and listen, the last part he talked about was, he was absolutely correct. I mean, my head hurts from agreeing so much from what he was saying, but the stakeholders, there are so many stakeholders in this discussion, you know, all the way, you know, consumers, industry, I mean, uh, scientists, right? I mean, scientists are stakeholders in this, the science community. So I'm glad that he talked about everyone that's involved in this discussion, but at least everyone we're involving in our discussion here at Good Cop, the WHO isn't involving all the stakeholders in their discussion, but you know, we need to keep on talking about that, that there are a lot of people involved in this and a lot of people that are interested in this and will benefit from this. Yeah. Mark? Um, yeah, I, I can. When, when you talk about science, scientists, um, I agree. You know, there's, there are science. There is science. That's, there is science. There is not your science and my science. There is one science. And unfortunately, the WHO seems to think that it can cherry pick what science it it, it wants to choose and and apply, uh, you know, decisions and and uh, policy based on the science that they've chosen to like. Uh, it's not like that. It's it, you know, and and as David said, there are many stakeholders, and they should be listening to them. They won't let consumers in. They won't let science uh, scientists with a different uh, different viewpoint in. And science is is the art of disagreeing with one another. That's what science is. Um, so yeah, it's. It, when they say in drugs, it, it's um, in drugs harm reduction, they say nothing about us without us. There's no point trying to talk about us and, and how you can help our health if you don't actually talk to us and understand what our, our motivations are and what our problems are. And the WHO at the moment doesn't want to do that. But they're, they're going to have to at some point because how can you come up with decent policy and, and enduring policy if you're not going to talk to all the stakeholders and, and assess you know what's good, what's bad, and what's best for the the the, the world. I mean, it's the World Health Organization. What's best for the world's economy and health, and uh, not just not just health, but economy and well-being and and whatever else. Yeah, and and Brent, I would lose my job if I didn't say that taxpayers are also a shareholder in this discussion mm -hmm. when we talk mm -hmm. about the World Health Organization. So I I have to put a plug in for taxpayers. Oh no, absolutely for sure. Oh, I mean. 
taxes are like the fundamental tool for tobacco control that they wield uh, against uh, people, human beings. And quite frankly, you know, here's the deal. Like where I was trying to get at before was that there's a lot of us, millions of us that have proven that we will not quit. We will not quit but for a tool like vaping that we all of a sudden are quitting in the millions. But before that tool, we would take the health risk, the health actual killing, dying from it. We would take the total stigmatization from society and we'd even pay for it in exorbitant excise taxes and so forth and continue to smoke. So what point have they not figured, like they just really don't even understand uh, no, the people? Listen, yeah, taxes don't make people healthier. They make them poorer. Yeah. Okay, so th I've got a voice here uh, from Janine Timmons, who's a Canadian advocate, for the lack of a better term, for tobacco harm reduction. She was originally supposed to be down in Panama as one of your consumer voices, but couldn't make it. So here she is with a voice off, uh, from Panama. Would you say that the World Health Organization has had an undue effect, maybe a negative effect on the vaping debate or not? Oh, I'd say it was, it's had a negative. Uh, as, as far as I know, uh, in the bits that I have read, they would like to change very many things at, at COP10. If they had their way, I think that they would like to ban it worldwide. They would like a flavor ban. They don't want flavors. I'm not even sure they want tobacco. So they want to render it useless, really. A conference on tobacco and vaping should always include health. So what they're doing to me is the exact opposite. And I think it's having a negative effect. We're actually fighting for our lives here and we're, we're doing exactly what we've been told to do all of our smoking lives, which is quit. Um, but where's the parade? We've all quit and we're still waiting for the parade. It's, they need to continue to listen to us. I feel when the lines of communication remain open, it's always a positive thing. To, to close us off would be a, an enormous mistake. And if they're truly concerned about 5% smoking rates in 2035, they need to continue to listen to the consumers. We are the voice. Well, there's an awful lot to be said there from Janine. Where's the parade to start with? Yeah, uh, this is, I try and explain to people because uh, on social media you'll find vapors are very passionate, always have been. And I'm, I'm quite impressed with how passionate vapors are. Um, but, but why are they passionate? Well, they all used to be smokers and they found a, a product, um, whether it's, it's vaping or whether it's heat or burn or nicotine pouches or snooze, they found this product that they feel has improved their life immensely. And they can't understand why public health isn't happy for them and why they're still having to fight. You know, it was once, I'm sorry for the expletive here, uh, uh, Brent, but it was once explained to me by one of these vapors that they said, well, the reason we're so passionate because because we're all smokers, we've been shat on twice. 
you know, I mean, exactly. Why is why is this not being celebrated? They're still having to fight to keep the vaping products and other products that they said have helped them quit smoking. Why is the WHO not satisfied? Why not celebrating this? Like, like Janine said, where's the parade? Um, and that's where the passion comes from. They get angry and they get upset. And this is why I finished one of the panels we had today by saying it doesn't matter what they do, we're going to be back again at COP11. Vaping consumers are never going away. WHO might as well just accept that, the, that vaping, vaping consumers are going to carry on vaping. No matter what you do, they will go for black markets um, if, you, if you close them down. Uh, but worse still, some of them might go back to smoking. And they're still going to be in your face. So the best thing they could have done, the WHO could have done when vaping products came around, was embrace them and think these are really useful. We could, we could, you know, expedite people quitting smoking faster. But they didn't, and um, and that's why vapors are so passionate. That's why Janine's so passionate, and why she's doing it. because you know she's um, <coughs> she just wants to be left alone with her vapes. She's happy with it. Um, and like, where's the parade exactly? Why, why are they not celebrating? Why are they trying to destroy these products? And again, but then going back to what we said earlier, but if you consider vapors and smokers as subhuman beings um, and you just want to order them about and you don't value their, 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 um, their personalities or their, them as people, then you would just boss them around and you'd probably enjoy it. Yeah, the, the most difficult thing about COP11 is probably limiting the number of people to come to good COP. Because I think we're going to have a lot more advocates in the next two years when it comes to this and obviously the folks that we've uh, already dealt with. And what I, again, so many things I find fascinating and people are celebrated for changing their diet, right? It's going from an unhealthy diet to a healthy diet. We embrace that, we celebrate it, which we should. Yet the World Health Organization doesn't embrace tobacco harm reduction. And, you know, this is not about zero risk. There's risk in everything that you do, everything that you eat. But if you are changing your lifestyle and you are doing something that science has proven that is better for you, that is less harmful, that should be celebrated and embraced and everyone should have a parade. Couldn't agree more. All right, gentlemen, so I think we have one interview, live interview lined up with Will Godfrey. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump to our little... Uh, be right back slate and uh, do the chairs dance we'll be right back in a moment everyone everybody we have will godfrey here and will i'm going to read this out here so founder and editor-in-chief filter executive director the influence foundation is that correct 
yes, the Influence Foundation being the nonprofit that operates the publication. Tell us about Filter. Well, Filter was launched in 2018. It's an online publication um, whose mission is to advocate through journalism for rational and compassionate approaches to drug use, drug policy and human rights. So we cover all manner of harm reduction, drug policy and related topics um, with significant emphasis within that on tobacco harm reduction. Yeah, it's really a remarkable um, resource. I, Red Watch uses it all the time. Um, what was the what was the reason why you this was created like what was the impetus well i think there was a need for it because these subjects are routinely covered by other media uh, not all uh, extremely badly um like i mean just disastrously badly um and to come at these subjects from an evidence-based but also humane uh, perspective is unfortunately quite rare in the media and so we felt that there you know these these subjects are extremely important in terms of public health in her, in terms of human rights and we wanted to try and do it better and uh, we felt that there was uh, a need and an audience for this type of publication and five six years later um, hopefully we were right so do you do you think uh, WHO and the folks at COP10 know about filter I would hope so. We've we've honoured them with enough mentions in our time. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you anything about the World Health Organization that you haven't heard from uh, from other delegates here in in Panama. But um, the you know the the fact that they are an appalling source of misinformation and um, harmful policy generation uh, on you know the world's biggest cause of preventable death is is nothing short of, of scandalous and I think it's really important that uh, some of us are here in Panama uh, to oppose that agenda and um, to make it clear that uh, hopefully to the WHO that that they are being scrutinized. Is it a David, David and Goliath situation? I think in some senses yes they're they are sort of powerful uh, and established interests um, very well funded um, that the support uh, vape restrictions and prohibition and restrictions on other tobacco arm reduction products. Um, on the other hand, I don't know if I would quite call our side a David when it's more than 100 million people around the world, um, really important people, the people who've actually made the switch um, to safer products, who are the living examples of the life changing impact and uh, life-preserving impact of those products um, and despite the the restrictions despite the hostile climates for tobacco harm reduction all over the world their numbers have continued to swell and that's what gives me hope um, i think their numbers will continue to swell and they will be heard even if they're not being heard at cop 10. how do you keep at it because it's got to be tough. I I drink a lot of coffee, and I also, um, I mean, I care about it. I'm, I, you can't do this sort of work without being passionate about it, and you can't learn about the issues we cover and and tobacco harm reduction in particular as well, without becoming um, 
quite angry about it, about the injustices that are being perpetrated against people, often um, often really vulnerable people, um, people um, who deserve better from from their so-called leaders. Um, and so it's that um, that that keeps me going, as well as the inspiration provided by um, all the folks I've met along this journey and had the privilege of, of working with, um, whether we're quoting them or, or publishing their work. And um, yeah, there's there's a movement here that, that inspires me and I'm proud to be part of it. Oh, that's excellent. Let me ask you, um, what's your reaction to what's happened in the UK recently? It's incredibly dispiriting. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, we, we write about tobacco harm reduction policies all over the world. And, it, and it's been almost a custom for us at Filter to sort of to talk about some terrible draconian policy somewhere and say, well, in the UK, they're doing this and this. And, um, you know, in April 2023, the UK government announced in an unprecedented move that it would give out free vape starter kits to one million people who smoke. Um, ever since then, things have gone downhill in a, in a serious way. Um, obviously the, the, the disposables ban that has now been um, announced and that's, you know, it's in, I don't need to tell you, but it's incredibly problematic. Um, disposables particularly are, you know, a low cost, low barrier form of access to vaping for people who are often just starting on their, their journey for switching. Um, they are prefer, preferred often by um, some of the more marginalized um, populations in society. And as such, they're, they're really important. Now, I understand there are some legitimate concerns about them, um, environmental particularly, but those are surmountable. Um, better products can be developed, um, better recycling and, and, and all of that. And um, it's, it's not a reason to take away this, this life-saving resource from people. Yeah, it really feels that, it feels like anti-vaping campaigners really attached their cause to the, around disposables and were able to use it to kind of push through and break down the barriers. Yes, I think so. Um, there's a certain, um, there's a certain visibility to them, both, um, both on display and, and, and when discarded and, and so people um people without a vested interest or personal knowledge of their harm reduction role um might feel mildly irritated um of course they're fed a constant stream of disinformation by uh by media and government and um so yeah it's um it's just a sort of a a, a cheap move that seems superficially popular that, that that rishi sunak has decided to make um it's it's a terrible shame and I mean, hasn't the UK learned something from from the smoking cessation rates since vapes became widely available there? Uh, I mean, it's been it's been a success story that that it now looks like it might be jeopardised. Um, the you know to to make an optimistic point, the genie is very much out of the bottle in the UK. People are not going to stop vaping who started, but um, moves like this could well slow down the transition, and that's a terrible shame. Yeah, I guess just lastly to point out that um, my concern was is that it would go straight into COP10 and give a lot of, you know, wind beneath the wings for the anti-vaping campaigners down in Panama. Yes, I think it could because the UK has been seen as a kind of flagship for um, tobacco harm reduction, um, certainly the vaping strand of it. And, 
you know, a hope, maybe not a very strong hope, but a hope that um, the folks on our side of the fence had was that the some governments with more um, progressive tobacco harm reduction policies would actually speak out and would actually um, oppose the very negative agenda that, that seems to be predictably rolling out there. Well, Will, thank you uh, for your time today and for all the hard work from you and your journalists at FilterMag. Again, it's filtermag.org. That's right, yes. <laughs> awesome. Thanks very much. Pleasure to join you. See all you right. soon. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye. Right, gentlemen, good to see you back. Some nice chair dance in there. <laughs> okay, so we're coming up to the end of day four. I'll throw all that energy into the last day. Um, did I, did you guys get the pitchforks and torches I and I FedEx down there? <laughs> yes, they arrived in my room yesterday. We're uh, we're getting ready. We're getting ready. So is there any last, I mean, are you guys planning anything, you know, secret last protest, you know, something outside the building or anything like that? Boy, with what happened yesterday and not being able to even hand out pamphlets, everyone's on a little edge. I'm not going to lie to you that this is what the WHO is doing, these heavy-handed tactics. But listen, tomorrow is the last day. We've had an amazing conference. We've talked to scientists, we've talked to consumers, public policy advocates, and it's really amazing to you know hear all these people and a lot of these people are just people i've known on social media and to meet them in person i mean the personalities are are amazing and uh you know working with martin has been an absolute pleasure not just this week but the last uh, few years so it's been an incredible week and tomorrow last day of cop let's uh, let's see what happens martin any last words no, we got we got another program tomorrow. We got um, we've got a, a panel on the best and worst countries promoting tobacco harm reduction. We've got one on what do consumers need to do in 2024 and beyond. Um, so some of these these um, sessions are already looking forward to what's happening after COP10, uh, and we're going to have a bit of a celebration uh, on, on Friday night, as most people do. But yeah, it's been a good experience, and I'll say it again: the lineup we've had here, some amazing people, some incredible panels and some really, really good, uh, good thoughts and inspiration from everyone who's spoken. I mean, literal a rocket scientist, isn't uh, Dr. Sussman? Sussman, yeah. He's a rocket scientist. I mean, we have a rocket scientist <laughs> here with us. We have cardiologists. So uh, the WHO does not have a rocket scientist in their conference right now. <laughs> that is a great place to end. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. Everybody, please uh, come back tomorrow for our last day at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Good Cop, Bad Cop Counter Conference to COP10.